sickness. Not that every day isn't that time, but especially during this season, um, it's not a time, and we'll see Jesus' example here in just a few minutes. But uh, we're going to run the quick video and the promo promo into the the series. It's already running. All right, we'll just run it, and we'll go right there. So we're going to start with Scripture this morning. Sorry, Sean. That's that's all me, brother. It's all me. It's all me, Jaden. It's all right. It's all good. We're going to start this morning with Scripture, and the church said, too strong. That was too strong. Because last week, it took me a while to get there, right? But it, it had to happen. So I introed basically the whole series in the first 15 or 20 minutes of the sermon last week. But we're going to start with Scripture, and, uh, and, and this morning we're going to read from 1 John. Um, and as we, we, we've lit the, the Advent candles, right? But we're going to read from, we've lit the love, we, we lit the love candle, and some of you are like, Whoa! That normally doesn't happen for a few weeks. Why the love candle? Well, if you're following in our devotional book, that this week we're, we're coming up to the love, into the love chapter of this book. And I believe with everything in me, um, and it's perfect actually that the authors of this book put that here because you know what? We talk about hope, right, last week. But you know what? None of this matters. None of the love, joy, none of the joy and peace matters if you don't see that in the light of or because of the love of God. So it's important that we set up the rest of the series at this point and the rest of this book to, to then in the light of love. So we'll get into some of that. But let's read in 1 John 4. Um, the, the, the scripture for this morning. If you, if you have it, say amen. A few of you have it, First John 4. If you have it, say amen. amen. Alright, that's a little better. It says this in First John 4, 7, in, the, in reading from the ESV. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest, visible, manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This has Advent all through it. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, churchy word, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then verse 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, And His love is perfected in us. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of that word. Advent, right? This season, you read 1 John with with that in mind, and you think, oh man, it's all through there. It's all through there. Now, traditionally, like I said, we talk about love in week four, but the book tackles it in week two, and we've lit the candle this morning. And I think it's because we need to set the precedent that nothing at Advent matters without the understanding of the love that we talk about during this Advent series. 
It's like the, the author said, before we go any further, we need to understand a few things. And so we look at the advent of love, or the coming, or the arrival, the meaning of advent, of love. And that sounds real easy and fun, and yeah, we do it every year, but that can be pretty difficult in 2021. Because I want to argue this morning that the word, the word love, that very word, I'd like to argue that the word's been emptied of its meaning. If you ask people, in fact, I asked a couple people this week, and I got different responses, but the first response was always the same. Hey, what do you love? The first response is, what do you mean? <laughs> Almost everybody. But you ask, what do you love? And you'll get very, very different responses if you ask people, hey, what do you love? Depending on the context of what you ask them and when you ask them, what do you love? Well, they, I found out, and you'll find out, that people love all kinds of things. Some people love fajitas. Right? They love their kids. What do you love? You know, I, they love their new car. They love their job. They love... What I'm, what I'm trying to highlight is that if you ask a bunch of people what they love, the response to that is very varied. It's varied because we don't really have a working definition of love in our culture. Follow me this morning. Love, the word, it's become sort of this junk drawer word. You know that junk drawer that we throw everything into? You know, where do you put that? I don't know. Just put it in that drawer. I don't know. Love has become like a junk drawer word. Just, it's lost its meaning. We don't have a working definition of love. I mean, if you love fajitas and you love your brother, how, how is that the same word? <laughs> but that's what love is in our culture. And because that's what it is, it is emptied of its meaning, it's also emptied of its power. And I think we as Christians, we've lost some of that awe. We've lost some of that, like, even when we worship, we, we've lost some of that weight of worship that should be occurring in our heart in light of the love of God. And so here's, here's, here's my outline for you note taker. Here, here's, here's my first point, if you will, uh, for this sermon. I'll give it right to you. Uh, it's this. In the coming of Jesus, love has been made visible. Love has been defined. It's been defined. And it's only in the coming of Jesus Christ that real love, true love, not thin, powerless, rootless love, but real love it's only through Jesus Christ that real love actually expands across the globe. So there's, there, there, there's the first point. There's the outline. Now let's look, let's look back at the text. In verse 9, here's, here's what it says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now a couple of things I want to highlight right out of the gate is that the, 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 the bar, the Bible here, uh, is saying that in the manifestation of love, love made visible, right? It's, don't let that manifest word scare you. But that's just love made visible. The, the manifestation of this love occurred when Christ came in the flesh. Now, how can we say that? How can we say? You, you want to know how can we see love? You don't... You don't need to dial in the, the latest romantic comedy. You don't need to, to, to get the new Taylor Swift album, right? 
Here, in, in, the, in, in the middle of all this, we look at the coming of Jesus. That is love made manifest, made visible. How do we see love? We see love, it's, the, the Scripture tells us, that it's made visible because Jesus was born. The coming of Christ. The reason why John here is arguing that the sending of Jesus is love made visible is because of the triune nature, check with me, of the Creator God of the universe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Three in one, delighting in one another, loving one another for all eternity, never beginning to the Godhead. In fact, everything that's been created, everything that exists, everything lovely, every beautiful thing has flown out of the love that God has within the Godhead. God the Father, loving God the Son. God the Son, loving God the Father. God the Holy Spirit, loving the Son and the Father. In fact, C.S. Lewis called this love the dance. And, And the scandal, really the scandal of Advent... The scandal of Christmas is that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, co-eternal, has always been, will always be, omnipotent, the active agent in all creation, condescends and puts this on. Flesh and and blood and bones. He comes in the most vulnerable way that no one saw coming, Didn't go to a palace, he went to a manger. Didn't go to Rome, he went to Bethlehem. Which is like, and you guys know the the history a little bit of Bethlehem. It's kind of like, you know, Pittsburgh directions. You go by Bethlehem, it's kind of where things used to be. How many people give directions like, please stop doing that? To new people into the area. You can't say, go down the street where that gas station used to be and make a right. We don't know where that used to be. But that was what Bethlehem was, the town where things used to be. You know, it's not really on the map. You with me this morning? All right. It's that town that you would have driven past and go, yeah, there used to be something there. And so the second person of the Trinity puts on flesh and he dwells among us. Now, why, why, why does he come? Look at, look at all the, the big picture where this is playing out. The love of God was made visible, made manifest among us. So, so love isn't being made visible somewhere out in the cosmos. It's happening, what's the word say? Among us. And God wanted us to see and to understand that divine love, so He sends the Son so that you and I might have life. Life. I want to remind you this morning that outside of Jesus Christ, you may exist but you're not going to live. Outside of Christ, you can experience the blessings of what I referred to earlier, the blessings of common grace. The blessings of common grace. Outside of Christ, you see, you, you, you don't need to love God. You can hate God and enjoy all the blessings of common grace. You can have a great meal. You can get a good night's sleep. You can have good friendship. You can enjoy the beauty of nature. These are things that are common grace. You can do all of these things outside of knowing Jesus Christ. Right? Can't you? I mean, 
Anybody know anyone at all who's hostile toward Jesus Christ and still does all these things, enjoys these things? Of course. The beauty of common grace has not only been given to the people who love God. It's been given to all humankind. The beauty of common grace. And yet, what we read over and over and over again in the Scriptures, and what is the great theme of so many movies and books, is this idea of being kind of alive, but not fully alive. We see that time and time again in the Scripture. In fact, if you remember back in the Gospel of John, how often is Jesus' argument about you actually coming to life? There being something beyond the thing that you're enjoying right now. In fact, in John 1.4, it says this, that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 4.14 said this, The water that I give Him will become in Him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, you're seeing these things in life that are common grace, but there's something more for the God, the God lover, the Jesus follower. Jesus says, yeah, there's all these great things, but if you see the water that I have, I come to give you eternal life. You're alive, but you're not living. One more, John 10.10. The thief, he said, comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came so that they may have, say it with me, church, life and have it abundantly. Yeah, you're existing. Yeah, you may have enjoyed the morning. You may have had a good cup of coffee today. You're existing. You're doing fine. But life is found in Christ alone. You may be living, but life is found in Christ alone. It just is. I'll try to explain it. You were created by God as a worshiping being. Do you know that? You were created for worship. To worship. You worship. Every one of you in this room worships. I just don't quite know what you worship. We can't help but worship as human beings. And it's most, mostly clear during football season in western Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio. We worship things, don't we? We're going to worship something. We're going to champion something. We're going to lift high something. We're going to talk about, we're going to be all about something. Because we're designed to worship. We're designed to spread good news, if you will. It's intuitive in every human being out there. And so the gifts of common grace were meant to be experienced, but then roll past themselves to the giver of the gift. You following me? The gifts of common grace were given, but it's supposed to, in our human makeup, we're supposed to roll past the gift to the giver of the gift. And the reason you can't be fully alive outside of Jesus Christ, you've got nowhere to roll it up to. You're like, man, the common grace. You're like, man, that was a great meal. That was a good steak. Yeah, anybody can have that, right? But to wonder as you're worshiping in that meal, you know what? How generous and kind and beautiful is the God that we serve. 
that he would think of flavors and sensations. Right? And that it rolls up to you move past the common grace to the grace giver. You ever, you ever have a good night with friends where you went what I would call like in conversation to a place where you kind of go below the line and you have that deeper level of conversation and about hurts and longings and dreams and you kind of tasted that with a, with a good close friend or maybe your spouse. You kind of go there. You're like, wow, man, that was, that was deep. That was a lot. And you kind of tasted that. But that's, that's a great thing. But you know what? You actually go beyond that. See, that's the shadow. I like the idea of shadow and form. And follow me. Uh, that's not the form. The form is that God knew in our design as image bearers of Him that community was going to be a necessity for us to flourish. And how good that God would give us friends, community, people to be a part of this with, how many know that friends are hard to find? Right? You know the friends that you're tracking with me this morning? Friends are tough to find. And I'm not talking about you're even interested in the 400 people you know online. I'm not even talking about the 20 people that you know every once in a while you share some dip with and watch some TV. I'm talking about the kind of deep-rooted where I'm known and I know them and we're still committed to one another in genuine friendship. God gave us that. But you see, there's something beyond that for the Jesus follower. To have all the gifts of common grace and to understand there's something beyond that is the greater joy that's given to the people of God. That's the greater joy. Thank you. It's not given to the world. Their pleasures have to terminate at the pleasure. Right? The world's pleasures terminate at the pleasure. And I would argue that even if you're not a believer, which is why stuff gets so wonky when people don't, aren't trusting in Jesus. Because it's, their, ter- their pleasure is terminating on the pleasure. And it always leaves the people of the world longing for more, never really satisfied. So the way that I've tried to share this is the way that I'm sharing it right now. There's, there's a ceiling you can hit as a, as a non-follower, as a non-believer. And the only way to break through is to worship and believe in Jesus Christ. There is, in a very real way, there is a tasting the goodness the world will never know. They're not satisfied. There, and, and, and all my, my Rona brothers and sisters, right? All my Rona brothers and sisters who lost the taste and smell, right? And we still kind of don't have it back. Remember we talked about it a little bit last week? We kind of don't have it back. When your taste is gone, you're, you're trying to get the, the pleasure out of the thing, but you can't because you can't taste it. It's this idea of shadow and form again. We're like, oh, the shadow is incredible. And you know, here's Christ in the background going, I thought of that. I thought of that. You know that thing that you just tasted and enjoyed, or the, the nature, or the, the whatever? Christ is in the background of all of that going, I thought of that. I thought of that because I'm good, and I love you, and I'm for you. I thought of that. And Christ is also saying, the things that you have enjoyed in your life, that should draw your eyes to me. Right? And so this is what he wants to argue. That's why he wants to argue here. John says, you want to see love? 
You want to see the coming of Jesus, the manifestation, he says, of Jesus, so that you might be alive. And you might go, great, but that doesn't really define love for me, Pastor. And I would say, you're really sharp this morning, and you must be paying attention, because that's next in my notes. Thank you for asking. So let's keep on reading the text. And let me say this. I think part of this is going to be really difficult for us. Because this is a happy Christmas sermon. Trust me, it is. Just hang in there with me. Uh, But we have to get through something here. It's going to really feel like an affront against the air that we breathe in a moment. But it's in the book. So here we go. Uh, Back to 1 John. Uh, Back to our original text. Uh, Verse 10. In, in this love, in, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Now here's the argument of the text. The argument of the text is that you cannot define love by watching humanity try to love. You see it there? I've had the privilege over my time as, a, as an ordained minister to officiate several weddings. Some are in this room. And it, as beautiful as those have been, as beautiful, as, the, as handsome as the, the groom looked, and as beautiful as the brides are, and the, and the setting, and all of their friends and family, as beautiful as, as all of that has been, the whole thing is still tainted by sin. We live in a broken world in a way that God has not been tainted by sin. And that's why it's hard to define love with human ideals. So maybe we can do it this way, because some of you are like, I don't know, Pastor, I'm not sure. I want you to think of someone you love right now. Think of someone you love, like deeply love. It could be your parents, it could be a friend or your spouse or your children, whoever it is. And get that person in your mind. Who do you deeply, I mean like deeply, picture in your mind, I love this person. Like that, I love this person. You got them? You got them in your mind? I I love this person. Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever hurt that person? Intentionally or unintentionally? Have you ever had significant conflict with this person? Have you ever started the conflict on purpose. Have you, like, right? Do I need to keep going? What I mean is, even in the most idealized sense, maybe this would help even more. Let's let's just say we use our sanctified imagination, right? That that you, that, that you might have found a man or woman in your life. And that man or woman, hear me church, pay attention, That man or woman was never going to give you up and they were committed to never letting you down. They were never going to run around or desert you. In fact, by the grace of God, they swear that they would never make you cry and they would never say goodbye. They would never even tell a lie and they certainly wouldn't hurt you. Y'all just got rickrolled by your pastor. I'm out. Drop the mic. Some people know what I'm talking about. But like, no, that's a lie, right? You're like, you're going to hurt other people. Not intentionally, sometimes with the best of intentions. And they still get hurt. Why do we hurt, hurt those we love? Because we're humans and we're tainted by sin. In a way that God has not been 
tainted by sin. And so you have perfect love in the Godhead and the sending of Jesus to invite us into that kind of perfect love. See, so that we might see it manifested and we might then therefore believe and understand and have and achieve a working definition of what real love is. I'm trying to get us there. But this is the difficult part. This is the hard part. This, this brings me to the hard part. So if we're starting with God and God is, is untainted by sin, in God... How do we still define it? What does it mean for Him to love us? Well, one of the things you can do is look at what Jesus said He came to accomplish. If Jesus is love manifested, made visible among us, what does love look like? Well, look at John 3.16 and 17. We often stop at 16. But love is made manifest in 3.16 and 17. He says this, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 17. For God did not send His Son into the world. Remember, send His Son, Advent, Christmas, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he came to seek and save the lost. He came not to condemn, but to save from condemnation. How is love made visible? How do we define love? We see this perfect, untainted by sin, second person of the Trinity come down, put on flesh and blood, and dwell among us for what purpose? To seek and save the lost, and not to condemn, but to save the world from condemnation. And how do you prove that? Well, it's right here in the book of Luke. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, this is where our our brains hurt at this point, I know. Because what I just covered is, look at this love, but then look at this word, and it, it is this strange word back in our passage. So, so we, we understand love now, right? We've defined it. We've got it. We've got it. Not the world's junk drawer version, but we have the, the godly version, the scriptural, the biblical version of love. We've got it. Anchored. Done. Now, we look at this other word. How is this love manifest? How, how did this happen? And what does that mean for me? This is our word. First John, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but He first loved us, and He sent us son, His Son to be the what? Say it together, church. Propitiation. Anybody got that tatted on them? <laughs> no? John 3.16, sure, we're holding up signs, but the propitiation won't even fit on the sign I'm holding at the football game. Because this, now let's unpack this just a bit. Because this seems like it doesn't make sense in our thin, powerless, junk drawer love word, right? He made love visible, and he made love visible, so visible, that he appeased wrath. Do you see that? You see that in Scripture? That he so loved and made love visible that he had to appease wrath. Wrath. See, in our day, the word love being hollowed out, you know, oftentimes love is just code for I get to do whatever I want to do. And God and whoever else has to deal with it, right? Because to disagree with me is to sort of be some kind of, you know, external force that tells me that I can't or I can't. Right? This definition of love that we have. 
it, it's kind of, you know, you can't tell me what love is because I have my own definition, right? Hey, bro, love is love, right? How many have heard that phrase? How many have heard the phrase, love is love, bro, love is love? So love is love. What does that mean, love is love? So undefined word in the world, right? Undefined word is undefined word. What does this even mean, love is love, bro? It's like a co- like like some kind of code or something. It's undefined. God help us. That idea of God is love, implying that there's no wrath in God, right? If love is love and God is love, well, love is just love. And there's listen, you can't separate love and wrath. The more you love something, church, the more capable you are of wrath. Am I lying? Am I making this up? The more, like the more, with every part of who you are, the more you love something, you are capable of terrible violence. You're capable of terrible violence. And an assault on the wrath of God is an assault on the love of God. When we say that God isn't bothered by sin... And he doesn't dislike sinners, and we make him like like Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. It's an assault on his love. And when you say that God has no wrath, you say that God has no love. You can't separate them. We try to clean it up. We say pithy, ridiculous things that aren't anywhere in the Bible, by the way. Newsflash. Like, no, Pastor, God. Here's, here's one, and this, is, this gets uncomfortable for church. We say this. Words like this come out of our mouths. Surprisingly. It's not in the scripture. We say, Pastor, God hates sin, but He loves the sinner. No, He doesn't. No, He doesn't. We say He hates sin and loves... And, and, no, He hates sin and He hates sinners. I'm going to show you that in the scripture. Merry Christmas. <laughs> But let me show you because it's weird and it's hard for us. Because we so just want a God who lets us do what we want. Why? Because Romans 1 calls us sinners. Why? Because we think we're smarter than God. Seriously, look at your life. Look at my life. All the time, God, I know what you want, but oh, this looks good for me. I'm going to show you this in Scripture. Psalm 5 says this. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You, this is speaking of God, you, you hate all evil evil doers. Doesn't say you hate all evil doing. It says you hate all evil doers. Verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, that's powerful, the bloodthirsty and deceitfulness of man, really, is what the translation says. Fourteen times in the first 50 Psalms, there are explicit sentences about God hating the sinner. Not sin, the sinner. That's hard. That's hard for us to hear. Look, I can sense how uncomfortable you all are looking at me right now. I can sense how uncomfortable you are. About God, this, this is tough. Because you want me to fix it. You want me to say, okay, pastor, turn it around now, right? Come on, tell us. Tell us he doesn't. No, he does. And and you can see in our lack of holy 
fear of a loving and all-powerful God that we have completely and utterly just taken the power and neutered God and pretend that He doesn't hate sin. You need only to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and the reality of hell to see that God's not messing around with His sin stuff. I feel like I'm preaching all by myself up here this morning. You know you're like, oh, pastor, please turn it around. I, I, I can't. I can't. It's the Scriptures. What I'm trying to get you to do this morning is to so fall in love with the Gospel this morning. The Gospel. I'm trying to get you to love the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That He died and He loves you so much. Now that we have a definition of love, in the middle of, of, of God's right and just wrath toward what is destroying what is good and beautiful is to send the Son to become the visible propitiation, wrath-absorbing agent so that you and I might be seen as spotless and blameless in His sight. So when we look back at that little manger with the little baby in it, that, that baby that created the universe, by the way, we should be struck with such awe. We should be blown away. We should be humbled to low places. Why? Because the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and He made us alive. This is the advent of love. You want to see love? You look to Jesus. You're going to die for your enemies? Now I know you, you, the folks in this room and those watching online, I know this doesn't apply to you. And I know that you don't hate anyone. No one in this room or watching joining us this morning. I know This is probably someone you know. Not you. Someone you know. Hypothetically, I know you don't hate anyone, but let's hypothetically, let's just kind of find that person in your life. Hypothetically, if you, it, not you, but someone you know, like let's say, find that person that you're like, oh, why? You know that person that you're like, oh, Jesus, sweet King of glory. Why? You have that person in your mind? You want to die for them? You want to lay down your life for that person, that man or woman? Let let them raise their kids and you give up your life? You want them to have life instead of you? And yet, love has been made visible, manifest. What is love? Love is seeking and saving the lost. Love is not condemning the world, but saving the world from condemnation. And Christ did not die for good, nice people. That's why someone's like, I don't know if I can trust Jesus. I've got a lot of baggage in my past. Or I've got this struggle in this very moment. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Are you kidding me? You don't know if you... you, Like Jesus didn't come to die for good, perfect people. As though there were perfect people, good people, right? No, no. Love has been manifested and defined in the coming of Jesus Christ in His life, death, and resurrection and the salvation that He sought us and found us and brought us into. So now, 
you and I, in a very real way, are in that what C.S. Lewis called the dance. Between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Caught up in that love. Shaped by it, molded by it. Remember, God is love, but He has wrath. He is not wrath that's loving. Tracking with me? He, God is love. It's who He is. It's His essence. And because that's who He is, He's capable of righteous wrath. And this is also counterintuitive, right? To what the world may think, or what me, we may think, right? Because, hey man, love is love, bro. But the only way that real love expands is for this to be true. I'll tell you this, I expect, I expect, the board of this church, this is real this morning, then those closest to me, not, and I have other people in my life, that if they see any drift in my life, they need to bring it to my attention. To not do that would be cruel. To not do so would be wicked. I might even say to not bring that to my attention would be a sin. In fact, I submit every month a report to the board. In every meeting, I give an accountability report of my own volition. No one's ever asked me to do it. I saw it I saw it demonstrated, and so I thought, you know what, that is awesome, I'm going to do that. And I get, in fact, one former board member said, I have never seen a report like that before. It's like, here's what I've been up to. Literally, here's what I've been doing. And Because I, I need to be accountable, I need someone to call me out if they see anything like that. In fact, I mean, can I get a board member this morning... What do I say at the end of every single report I give? If you see me doing something that you think I shouldn't be doing, tell me now. Also, if you don't see me doing something I should be doing, tell me now. I, board members, let me see a couple of hands. Do I say that at every single meeting? Every meeting. I need to be, and I mean it. Because if you don't, and things go un- unsaid, and the meeting after the meeting happens, you all know the trouble that can come from that. I need to know. If you see me doing something, you've got to tell me. If you see any drift, if you see anything going on, I want to know. You see, our thin, rootless definition of love makes us terrible brothers and sisters to one another. But I have invited into my life... See, I want to finish well. I want to cross the line having been faithful to Christ. Love my wife and family. And in that love, being transparent and being forgiven and being loved and being encouraged and all of that. I want to finish well and, and pour into my children and lead this church with all of the zeal that God would grant me. I want my whole life at the end to be wrung out. And I I ask the board, I ask the people closest to me, I've asked the district superintendent, if if I'm sleeping on this, you see me drifting, I want you in my face. Now you know me, don't come hard in my face, just ask me some questions. But you can, there's a way to approach a brother, alright, I'm just saying. 
But approach me in a way that I'll be able to hear, and, and you should want this for yourself. Like if someone would ever say, you know, hey man, I'm concerned about you. And, and, you know, and you'd be like, oh man, they're so judgy. Well, maybe they're judgy, or maybe they really love you. But you can't do that these days. Why? Love is love, bro. Love is love. It's absurd. It's killing us. It's actually garbage. Love is love. Love is deep-rooted, eternal, unmovable, never-ending. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians. You know, the love chapter, right? That was never meant for a wedding. He was talking about the church. So look back. We'll close. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love, remember we have a working definition now of love, because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Knows God. That's verse 7. And we have this working definition of love now. Not this junk drawer, thin... We're talking about real, authentic love. And remember, in John chapter 17, Jesus' high, high priestly prayer uh, of Jesus, it's right before Jesus is arrested, and he's there praying in, in the spirit of, that the Spirit of God would work in his disciples. And this is what he's been praying, and this is a prayer to the Father from the Son, and he says, as you sent me, into the world, so I have sent them. We are participating. You see that? As you, God the Father, God has sent the Son to do what? Seek and save the lost, not bring condemnation into the world, but salvation from condemnation. He says, I send them as you sent me. I send them. You sent me, I send them. There's the dance. There's the invitation. So if we will not love one another, if we will not love those around us with this kind of love, he's arguing then that you don't really understand the love of God. You either don't understand it, or you've completely rejected it. Now the worship team, come on back up. So with this working definition, now that we have it, of love, can we look at the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, with new eyes? With new eyes. It's, it's this real definition of love. That God so loved the world. That He gave His own one and only Son. How'd that get there? Did you put that there? But we have this new working definition of the word love. Let's look at Advent. Let's look at this time that God sent His Son with new eyes. New eyes. He sent His Son so that we could be sent it's this idea of a sent and sending God to not condemn the world, 
but to save it through Christ, pointing that world to His love. We're going to close with a song that says just that. It said that God so loved the world. And I don't know about you, but I could never sit down during this song. (laughs) So as we go through the words, and they'll be familiar words words to you. See these words with new eyes this morning. And realize that, that the love that God has for you isn't this like lame junk drawer kind of whatever. Oh, love is love, bro. You ever just want to throw up on your shoes? Yeah. But know that the love that we're talking about that God has for each and every one of you is His love that we've just defined. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get your attention and to get you to realize that love. We're going to sing about it. These words reflect everything that we just said so well. So, here we go.
God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you, Lord, for defining what love means because, God, you are love. And for whatever sort of junk drawer, Lord, thin, meaningless definition of love that we've had, God, we just, we lay that down. We throw it away this morning, God, and we accept the, the, the actual biblical God love that is explained to us so vividly in Scripture. That's the love that we accept this morning, God. And God, just as you sent Jesus with that love, through that love, God, you are sending us into the world. God, help us to reflect your love, not only during Christmas season or Advent season, God, but every waking moment of my life. God, might I show the world your love. Because that is how... The world will find you through the way that we show one another the love that we have, the godly, spirit-filled, biblical love that lives inside of us. And God, we thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. That God, we don't have to go it alone, that you now live in us. Your Holy Spirit now lives in us if we are following Christ. So, Lord, help us to manifest, make visible the love that you showed us to the entire world. We will give you the glory, God. We will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 